Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm Danny V, podcast host and children's author. I also do some work in publishing in acquisitions and publicity. As we hurdle towards one million plays, we'll continue to provide you with the conversational, vulnerable, honest and fun chats with your favourite authors across all genres. Check out our takeover episodes, usually released on a Friday, and our spin-offs released during the month. Thank you for being here, being part of the journey, and supporting Aussie Creatives. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Today, I welcome Jane Crowley. Jane grew up in and around the family antique business, listening to her dad, Athel's famous yarns. She decided to record favorite stories from his rich and rewarding life as an antique buyer, collector, and dealer with over 60 years experience. This entertaining and humorous memoir is the result of a beautiful collaboration between father and daughter. Today, we're going to talk about beeswax and toys. All tales. Welcome, Jane. Thank you, Danny. Thank you for being here. I thoroughly enjoyed Beeswax and Tall Tales, and I'm not too far from Barrel, so it was nice to you know read about a place that I know very well. Absolutely. Now, the first question I ask everyone: uh, hit me with an elevator pitch for this beautiful memoir. Okay. Well, this is a collection of stories. They're chronologically based, but you can dip in and out of them. And what I want the reader to feel is that they are sitting down with Athel, with my dad, having a cup of tea and hearing one of his stories of early life in the 1960s and 70s when he first opened his famous junk shop in Wagga (laughs) and he was doing farm clearances, deceased estates. He met all these amazing characters on the way um, and his prime focus was buying and selling vintage items and antiques so it's very good fun and i love how junk shop is spelled j-u-n-q-u-e yes oh well that he just had to make it a little bit fancier (laughs) than normal you know it's a fancy junk shop (laughs) absolutely absolutely fancy junk (laughs) that's it now you were recording his stories after hearing them and being entertained yourself when did this start did this start as a kid or as an adult Look, I always knew the stories because Dad started telling me these stories probably when I was, you know, eight or nine years old. (laughs) It was only in recent years, and when I say recent years, probably the last 10 years or so, that I sort of was made a conscious decision to think, you know, my children really need to know this. These are great stories about a time in our lives when life was very simple and you did business in a different way. So I just started writing down notes and then as I asked him more questions and he came up with more and more stories, (laughs) I sort of went, hang on, I'm not going to remember all of this. So then it was a matter of hitting record on the phone and going, okay, now now talk, Dad. So I've got all of these lovely, very casual interviews with him that I've recorded on my phone that I can then play back and go, that's right, I remember that detail and include it in the stories. I love the fact that you've got it recorded and his voice because this can later be passed on, you know, to generations and generations because we sometimes, well, all the time, we don't know our grandparents until they are of a particular age. So hearing those stories, um, not only in the book but in audio, I think that's magic. Absolutely. And I think it follows on. I mean, we're very lucky. Dad lives next door to us. So he comes in every night for dinner. Um, and, you know, to have those three generations sitting at the table all talking about 
whatever has happened through the day and what memories that brings up. It is so important for this younger generation to understand what life was like for their grandparents. You know, yeah, they see what absolutely. life is like for their parents, but to have yep. that link to their grandparents I think is so important because I agree. so much has changed in the last 50, 60 years. You know, unbelievable amounts have changed. You know, we've got mobile phones and, I mean, you know, my dad, when he was a little boy, he used to ride a horse to school. I mean, and that's unheard of for the kids these days. They're sort of, oh, my goodness, you know, did you live out in the middle of nowhere sort of thing. So it is really important. I love that. And it is, I think we forget that our grandparents were young once as well. So I think this is a really good reminder and this, you know, great legacy that you've got, which is fantastic. Absolutely. Now, I want to know how the collaboration worked. Did you just hear his stories and then you wrote the book so you sort of went about that on your own or was it a greater collaboration putting the book together? Look, there was a lot of referencing back to Dad. Um, obviously, I wanted to get the details right, but I also recognised that I needed to make it entertaining. And just so for clarity, you know, when I started writing these stories, I was being quite selfish and just doing it for the kids. I just sort of thought this is something that they need to know. It wasn't until I went to an amazing writer's retreat and we sort of immersed ourselves in the written word um, up here in, in the Southern Highlands and I showed it to Stephanie Bishop, who is herself a, an award-winning author. She led the, the writer's retreat and she sort of read a couple of chapters and she said, you know, this is really entertaining stuff. You should aim for a wider audience than just your three kids. So that was when I sort of became quite serious about it. Until then, it was a little hobby that I had on the side. And then I realised that, okay, I've got to put in the time and the effort to make this really a tribute to Dad. Um, so there was quite a lot of collaboration with him to, to fact check, but there was also that little bit of literary licence with me because I recognised I needed to make it as entertaining as I could. So people would be encouraged to pick it up and read the stories. Mm, that's so funny and it's so, um, it, it, that's what's difficult about a memoir because you want to make it true but you also need to make it entertaining beyond your family. So it sounds like you really found that through the humour. Well, it was but it's also, I mean, Dad's a great storyteller and I know quite a lot of the characters that are in the book. So it's my memory of them as well and it, so many of them were larger than life. You know, they're Marco the Italian, who is just the most passionate man I think I've ever come across when it comes to, you know, falling in love with an artwork or a piece of furniture or a piece of pottery or whatever it might be. So it was lovely to sort of exaggerate a little bit just to show the reader how fabulous these characters were. You know, I didn't want anyone to sort of appear vanilla. I needed them to love stand that. out and just be wonderful, really, really wonderful. Can you tell me what one of your favourite stories is? Oh, it's a really hard question. I've been asked a few times and I think I change my answer every time actually. Well, I'll um, rephrase it. What's your favourite story today? Today, today, today. <laughs> Look, I love, I love lots of them. For me, one of the best ones is the bath. Um, so what I did when, um, when I was constructing the book was to name each chapter after an item that Athel has bought or he's seen at auction. Um, and then my brother has done the sketches that are scattered throughout the book. And it's really lovely because 
for a, a person who's reading it who doesn't necessarily know, you know, what a scotch chest is or what a chiffonier is, there are little sketches throughout so that they can see what those items are. But I love the bath because it just seems so unlikely that this chain of events would happen and yet it did happen. And and this was just sort of one of Athol's average days, if you like. Um, I think this is what makes it so special being in the antique industry because you'll get a phone call to say, I've got some stuff you want. I want to sell. Come and have a look at it. And you just never know what you're going to find. Um, hidden in the back of barns or sheds or, you know, I did a clearance a few weeks ago here in the Southern Highlands and a fellow had a canoe stuck in the rafters of his chook shed. And it's this beautiful old canoe. And I'm like, this is amazing. You know, <laughs> why have you got a canoe stuck in the rafters of your chook shed? So to me, the bath really encapsulates just how unpredictable life can be and how thoroughly entertaining. Mm, I love that. And you get a real insight into other people's lives and worlds, don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and this is the thing. It's, you know, this is an industry that spans as you say, all walks of life, you are dealing with everyone from every different angle. And I think this is where Athol has been so successful in his career because he's shown real compassion. Um, when you're dealing with someone that are clearing a deceased estate, you're very conscious that you're trying to help them, but you're also there to listen to the stories of the person who's passed away. So there has to be a real element of compassion in what you do. And I think Athol does that really, really well, no matter what walk of life that person comes from. Mm. You know, he's always willing to, to listen to the stories of that person's life. Mm, I love all of that. Now, I want to know, you know, you live with someone, you know, being your dad and you hear all these stories, but, you know, there are still those parts of parents and grandparents that we, we don't know and we probably can never know in some ways. What are some things that you learned about your father through this journey that was unexpected or surprising or interesting? Um, gosh, that's actually a really tricky question, Danny, because, I mean, you know, Dad and I have been in business um, with Dirty Janes and with our with previous antique business. You know, we've been in business for 30-odd years now together. So I feel that there's not a lot of secrets between us. <laughs> But I suppose what I did learn from him was just how hard his childhood was. You know, he he tended to sort of gloss over it and romanticize it. You know, when he was he was five years old, he was milking cows before he took himself off to school. And while that sounds quite charming in a way, I didn't realize just how hard life was for him. Because he, his parents, um, they bought this struggling dairy farm. There was no electricity. You know, water came from a pump out in the yard. You know, every morning they'd have to go and light the boiler to get some hot water. Um, you know, he he was cast in a play where he needed taps put on his shoes, um, and he was really excited by this when he was sort of nine or ten but his family couldn't afford to put taps on his shoes so he couldn't do the play. And I think Dad has, 
you know, he's never blamed anyone for that. If anything, that has formed this resilience within him to be able to make the best of any situation. And I think that's a real skill that I've come to appreciate because I wasn't aware of just how extreme that hardship was when he was growing up. Mm. So, yeah. And what a quality. What a quality to have, you know, because there are hardships and challenges to always, you know, go on the side of optimism and positivity. I mean, it's. it's, Absolutely. It is admirable and worthy, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> Dad's got this great saying that you know whenever anything might go wrong at biz- in, in with the shop or business or whatever it might be, he says worst things happen at sea. You know this is his classic comeback. <laughs> I goes, love that. Look, I know that, Dad, but I'm trying <laughs> to deal with this at the moment. <laughs> so, <laughs> it is always optimism, and I love the the idea of vintage furniture and the restoration of furniture. And nostalgia is so powerful. Why do you think nostalgia is powerful for us? I think it links us back to a simpler time. I think in this day and age we're so caught up with social media and and keeping up with things and not wanting to miss out on anything. And it's quite exhausting in some respects, Um, you know, to be able to turn off your phone at the end of the day but you still take it home with you so people can still contact you, you know, there used to be a time when you'd walk out of your house and you'd leave all forms of communication in the house because the telephone was attached to the wall. So our connection with these vintage items now is a way of linking us back to a time that was simpler, that was a little bit slower, dare I say, less stressful. And I think we all hanker for that, even though we might not physically recognise that at the time. I mean... We get a lot of people come through our business and one of the most common comments I hear is people say, oh, mum had one of those or nana had one of those. And it really brings a smile to their face because they're remembering a time that they spent with their grandmother or whoever it might be where it was that easier, slower-paced, you know, there was a lot of home cooking, there was a lot of sitting down and chatting and having cups of tea and that sort of thing it wasn't you know this mad rush to be entertained the whole time with video games or must rush out and do something mm, so I, I feel like I, I do think it's very important <laughs> I need a bit more of absolutely. that sitting down drinking tea in my life I think <laughs> Ab- absolutely I think we all could absolutely <laughs> now talking about the idea of restoring furniture you know I understand it's it's manual work but giving something new life and then giving it a new home and having people re-love something I mean is that kind of therapeutic for you and your dad as well oh absolutely I think there's an element of um you know we'll go to a deceased estate or we'll go to an auction or something And you see this little piece in the corner and you think it's almost like finding an orphan and going, oh, come home with me. It's all right. I'll take care of you. And then, as you say, being able to repair it gently and give it a rub, a sand back and and a coat of beeswax. And you're just bringing out your, this luster within a piece of furniture and you're making it shine. And then to be able to have a customer who falls in love with it as much as you have and want to take it home with them, you really do feel like you're giving home to orphans. And I know that's probably a 
a bad thing to say to sort of create that analogy, but that's sometimes how we feel. We just love the fact that what we've worked on is then loved by someone else. Yeah, and I always Very think. Magical. Yeah, I always think when I go shopping in secondhand or vintage shops, which I love to do, and I'm particularly looking at dresses and jewellery, and there's a necklace I actually wear, you know, most days that comes from a vintage shop in Newtown. And it's, it's one of those things that you kind of wait for something to speak to you. And I know it sounds a bit hippy dippy, but I know that when I saw this necklace and I don't know its history or who owned it before or whatever, but there was something about it that just spoke to me and I knew I needed it. So I almost feel like there's this kind of sixth sense kind of um, thing when it comes to vintage, uh, you know, things that you buy and, and it almost speaks to you, I think. Oh, absolutely. And I I don't think it sounds hippy dippy at all because I'm completely there with you. I think when you see something vintage, you'll love a particular part of that piece. Um, Because it's vintage, it's got its own idiosyncrasies. And I think the beauty of it is too that we're looking at it and we're saying someone has owned this before me. I don't know who that is. I can't Google it. And it's one of these beautiful, unanswerable questions that exist, you know, because often, you know, so many times these days, if you've got a question, you just plug it into Google and Google gives you the answer. But to have something like your necklace, you don't know who owned it previously, and that's part of its magic. And then the other part of the magic is that you're going to own it and you're going to enjoy it. And then you're going to pass it on to someone else when you don't necessarily want it anymore, whether that's one of, you know, your children or a friend or whoever it might be. So we're simply the custodians of these items for the moment. And then we get to pass it on and another layer of stories gets added to these items. And that just adds so much magic to them. Mm, it really does. It does. I love that layer of history, you know, and I love that this, yeah. ne- for example, the necklace I have has got a layer of history and then I'm adding another layer to it. I love that idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very so initially, special. Initially you wrote this book for the kids. What's their reaction been? Look, it's, it's always been very supportive of them. I mean, my kids now, I've got two in their 20s and one who's just about to finish school. Um, So this has been a project within the family for a long time. Um, I must admit I'd read them stories initially and they'd sort of just pat me on the back and go, yeah, yeah, that sounds good, Mum, and off they'd go to do whatever they needed to do. Um, But I think they recognise that there is a sense of pride around this now because it is Grandpa's stories. You know, and and it has opened up a lot of conversations at the dinner table about, gosh, you know, Grandpa, I didn't realise you had to do this or what happened here. Um, I think for anyone who owns a small business, we know that, you know, you close the door of the shop and the conversation and that business follows you home many, many times. You know, it becomes part of the conversation at the family dinner table. So there's a certain sense of pride. There's also a certain sense of okay, well, mum's done that. Now what's the next thing that we've got to do? Um, But, yeah, I think they understand that the life we lead is quite unique and the life that grandpa led was very very unique and they love being part of that. (laughs) I love that. What were some of the challenges in writing this memoir? Oh, finding the time. (laughs) It's the classic situation of 
you know, I'd, I'd have sort of structure of a story mulling in my head and I'd be trying to work out how to present that to the reader and I'd be desperate to put it down on paper and start typing. But, you know, I'd have to take kids to sport or whatever it might be. So it was just finding that time. And I, I'm a real morning person. So I actually solved that by waking up at about five o'clock each morning and I'd do an hour and a half writing before I had to get up and get the kids ready to school. And that was the only way I got it done. And mm-hmm. then sometimes late at night, but normally at night I'm sound asleep by half past nine at night. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not really a party animal when it comes at night, but it but was that, that um, morning focus. Yeah, but putting that time away, it's an amazing how much you can chip away at something. In an hour and a half, it's a fairly substantial amount of time, but you can imagine an hour and a half every single day, you know, that's how you get things done. Sometimes you do, particularly when you've got kids, is just chip away at things. Well, absolutely. Well, for me, if I did that sort of five mornings a week, you know, that was a full day's worth of writing. Mm. And no way could I sort of just say on Friday, right, well, I'm just going to put myself <laughs> in the in the, in the the library and write for the day. I mean, that just wasn't going to happen. So I think, you know, you've got to be realistic about these things and say, well, I want to do it. How am I going to make it happen? Yeah. And I you've think... just got to be creative with your solutions. Yeah. And you've got to be passionate about what you're doing as well, which obviously oh, you were. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, a question I ask everyone on the podcast is why do you write? Now, I know it's a bit different for you because you were compelled to write this for your kids and then you realised it was something more and more interesting for other people. But is there an answer beyond just wanting to get your father's stories out? Like is there something about writing that is cathartic for you or, you know, you felt your love of it? Look, I really have developed it. When when I did the writer's retreat and I you know, there was probably a dozen of us um, and Stephanie Bishop is a very talented writer and an incredibly passionate teacher. And I realised that it was actually something that for me I really enjoyed and it did help me um, escape the pressures of the business and daily life. You know, some people like to paint a picture, some people do quilting, whatever it might be, I've recognised for me it is being able to put words on a page and create these images out of these words and these these situations and stories around Dad's experiences that I really, really love doing. Um, so it is very, very cathartic, absolutely. Mm, I love all of that. So you've got all of that and then plus you've got, you know, the personal story and, you know, a legacy for your family. So it ended up being, you know, such a special project and, you know, really interesting for the readers as well. Well, I hope so. I hope so. I think that the lovely part is that I think by writing it, it's a real tribute to Dad and his way of doing business as well. Um, you know, he he's very much... He's very much the kind of fellow who if someone's down, he doesn't kick them. You know, he he's always wanting to do the best by a person, um, not cheat them, not hold grudges, you know, turn around at the end of the day and go, well, look, well done. We've all we've both come out with a win. And I really to me, it it provides a sense of faith going forward that there are people out there like that who 
will be just so generous of heart and generous of nature. Um, and to me, that was really special. Yeah. I love that. I love how it's become such a special story and it's, you know, now it's out in the world as well. So I think that's an amazing achievement. So thank you so much for spending time with me today and telling me all these stories about, um, you know, your, your, tall, your father's tall tales and yes. <laughs> everything in between. So thank you. Oh, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on your lovely podcast.